to briefly set this psalm in the context. Psalm 121 is the second of 14 songs of ascent. And these songs would have been sung as the Israelites were traveling to Jerusalem for different feasts such as Passover or Pentecost. So let us read together God's word, Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but your word stands forever. Speak to us through your word. Point us to Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, the Christian life, or really life in general, is often thought of as a journey. That is, it's a metaphor for our lives. And so, if we are on a journey, then that means that we are travelers on that journey. And on a journey, we are faced, uh, you'll be faced with highs, with peaks, as well as lows. And much in the same way in our lives, we face these same things, the immense highs of life, such as a wedding day, the birth of a child, graduation, landing a job, being in deep community and fellowship together. But on the opposite side, we also face lows, the loss of a loved one, chronic pain and sickness, broken relationships, the daily stresses and anxiety of life. Maybe you're here this morning, you feel like you're really neither. You're just kind of going in a direction, but you're not sure where to. What about the traveler in this psalm? What about the person making this journey? So I just mentioned this psalm is a song of ascent that would have been sung by the devout Jews traveling to Jerusalem. And the hills we see in verse 1 are the mountains surrounding Jerusalem. And when I imagine in my head this journey, I kind of think of this nice smooth path with a bearable ascent, just kind of an easy ride up. But that's not what they would have faced. Think more like your favorite or not so favorite hiking trail. It had been a well-worn path. It would have made their ways through valleys, along rivers, over mountain passes, all the way to Jerusalem. And on this path, they would have faced different challenges. For one, they would have been tired. They would have been worn out. Their feet would have been sore. They would have been ready to get to Jerusalem and rest. Secondly, as they traveled through these paths, there would have been the fear of the unknown, the fear of robbers, the fear of wild animals that might hurt them on their way. Also, it was more than likely as they 
traveled and they looked up to the hills, they would have been reminded of the pagan Canaanite gods on the other hills that were worshipped on the other hills around them. And so as the psalmist looks to the hills and asks, from where does my help come? It's in the context of this. It's in the context of being physically tired. The fear of the unknown. And the false gods around them trying to steal their worship. Well, we can relate to these travelers, can't we? Are you tired this morning? Do you have fear of the unknown? Is there things in your life trying to steal your worship? Whatever is taking up the most of your emotional or mental energy, whatever the biggest burden is in your life this morning, we must ask the same question that the psalmist asked. From where does my help come? If you're in Christ, if you have saving faith through Christ alone, through grace alone, we get the answer like the psalmist, it is in the God who keeps. That's what we're going to see from the passage this morning, that God keeps his people in all of life. Therefore, we have confidence in him. God keeps his people in all of life. Therefore, we can have confidence in him. We'll look at this under two headings. First, God's powerful and active keeping. And secondly, God's protective and absolute keeping. So first is God's powerful and active keeping. What does it mean for God to keep? The word keep or keeper here is used six times in this passage. It means to guard, to watch over, to attend to carefully. Me and Ashley recently got to take our son Ben to the beach. And I don't know if you've ever had a, taken a two-year-old to the beach. You have to watch over them attentively. You cannot keep your eye off of them. That's what it means to keep. It means to watch over with attentive care. So what does the psalmist say about this keeper? Well, first we see that the keeper is our creator. Look back at verse 2. How does the psalmist describe where their help is found? It says, the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, the God in whom the psalmist finds their help is the God who in Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. The God who keeps his people, who spoke, is the one who spoke all things in the being, who spoke and created the sun, who spoke and created the beauty of the earth, and who spoke and created us in his image. One, comment, one commentator said about this verse that as the psalmist says that they are looking past, says this, they are looking past the hills to the universe and past the universe to its maker. You know, it's it's estimated there's approximately 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. 200 billion trillion stars. I can't even wrap my head around that number. Well, a little later in the Psalms, in Psalm 147, it's speaking about God and it says, He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their name. You see, the creator who names all the stars is the one who keeps his people. The God who created the universe and named the stars and all their majesty and power is also the one who knows the hairs on our head. He's a personal keeper. Verse 3 says, he will not let your foot be moved. 
as the creator of the world, he doesn't just sit back and let us go about our business. He is personally involved. If we think back to uh, the traveler on their path to Jerusalem, there's endless opportunities for their foot to slip, for them to slip and fall. But they're confident that God is with them in a personal way. That God is so personal that he watches over our every step. I don't know if you, I've been rock climbing before, trying to climb up a steep hill. And sometimes you have a, a foothold that's just big enough to almost get your foot on it. And the only way you're able to push up off of it is you have to have your friend there to put their hand on your foot and keep it on there so that you can push up. And if you're that friend, you are personally involved in that. You're personally involved from keeping that foot from slipping. That's how personal God is in our keeping. As God watches over our every step, he does so without the need for rest. Verse 3 continues, it says, He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God never tires and never needs rest, which means that he tirelessly cares for us. We all need sleep. It doesn't take but one or two nights of a lack of sleep or bad sleep for us to realize that. It messes up our whole day. Our minds are foggy. We need more coffee or or a nap. But God doesn't need rest. God is rest. And God actively keeps us all the time. He who created all things is watching our every step in the highs and the lows of life. This means God is watching over us even in our sin struggles, even in our deepest failures, our deepest shame, our heaviest burden, the struggles we don't want anyone to know about, we wish that would just disappear from our life. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he's speaking of, God's richness and mercy, he says this, that God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most makes him hug hardest. You see, our God who is powerful and active, he keeps his people even in the lows, even in the places of shame, the most sense of failure, our our feelings of inadequacy. That's where God shows up with his abundant mercy, where he keeps our feet from slipping. Because God's not a passive God, God is powerfully active in his care. That's God's powerful and active keeping. What about God's protective and absolute keeping. Verse five says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. What is shade? You think about shade, especially in the heat of summer, there's an element of protection as well as a place of safe refuge. This is what God God does as he watches over his people. He protects us. 
Again, we are reminded he keeps guard over his people all the time. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. God gives protection abundantly. Some of you may remember our church picnic back in June. And as we came together that afternoon, that sunny afternoon, we all quickly started to gather in the little pockets of shade. The shaded areas were full of people seeking refuge from the sun. When we face the heat of the sun, we actively seek out shade, relief, protection. Where are you finding your shade this morning? Your protection, your refuge, your stability in life, is it in your health? Your finances, your kids and your work? Maybe in our attempts to try to have complete control over our lives? So often we try to create our own shade, our own refuge, our own relief. Yet we always come up wanting more. The shade we often turn to is only temporary. And God is saying that I am your shade. Come to my safety. I am your shade. Seek refuge in my care. If you think about God's shade, this word actually can mean shadow. If you think about your shadow, you can't get away from your shadow. Your shadow is always with you. There's never a moment when God's people are not under his refuge and his protection. God's protection is not temporary. It's complete protection. And God ultimately shades us, ultimately protects us by giving us his son. It's because of God's protective keeping that he sent his son to this earth so that we might receive his love through Christ's sacrifice. We needed protection from ourselves, from our sins, from the world, and God knows the only true protection and refuge we need, and his name is Jesus. What about God's absolute keeping? Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So upon first reading of this, we might, it might come across the idea that if we are in the Lord, we're not going to face any evil in this life, any suffering. So what are we to make of this statement here? I think we need to ask a couple of questions. That being, what does absolute keeping mean and what does it not mean? First, what does it not mean? does not mean that we won't face evil and suffering in this life. Much of Scripture shows us that we will face these things. If we look in the Old Testament to Job or Joseph or to Paul's life or thinking about what James shared about Baruch. So we're going to face suffering. We're going to face evil in this life. Many of us may find ourselves in a low place this morning a spiritual low, a physical low, an emotional low. These are things we are going to, we are going to or are experiencing in this life. So what does absolute keeping mean? It means you're secure. It means you're secure from evil. You're secure in your suffering. God keeps our lives. 
He watches over us with attentive care. If you're in Christ this morning, you have the assurance that God works all things for, his, for our good and for his glory. And though we will face evil, though we will face suffering, we are secure in our God. How long do we have this? Verse 8 says, from this time forth and forevermore. So we are absolutely kept by God right now. You are being kept by God now. We are secure now. And in the context of redemptive history, we're in what's called the already and the not yet. That being that we are between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Christ died. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. And so we see in the story of redemption that God keeps us in the now. And one of the ways that he does that is through his Holy Spirit. Last week, Michael preached on John 16. And in John 16, Jesus says that if he doesn't go away, if he doesn't do what God has planned for him, that the helper will not come. Well, who's the helper? It's the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit to guide us in the now. He also keeps us forevermore. So this passage promises, promises us eternal keeping. As we are in the already and not yet, we have the promise that we know where we will be for eternity. That Christ is coming back. It's actually the hope of forever that sustains us in the now. It's the hope that Peter says in the New Testament, we are elect exiles. We are here for a season. We can have confidence and comfort in our lives now because of what Christ did for us and the promises that he's made. For God to keep you now means you are completely kept now and forever. So we, as we recently had a team go to India, it had me thinking about one of the times me and Ashley got to go um, and serve our partners there. And specifically, it had me thinking about the last day we were there. The last day we was on a Sunday. And so we woke up and we packed our bags. We went out, we went to several different villages and worshiped with them. And then the sun had went down and we got back in the cars and we drove probably another three hours to the airport. Went through security, checked our bags and started the flights from India to Doha, Doha to Atlanta. And then that two and a half hour drive home from Atlanta. The farther and farther we got into that journey, the more and more aware I was that I was not home. So what, as I was riding in cars, as I was visiting villages, as we were sitting in different airports, I started to feel a longing for home that grew the longer it went on. The more I realized I was not home, but I was traveling. I was a traveler. What might it look like for us to live our lives as travelers? Knowing that God's protective and absolute keeping is our security. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we are on a journey. And we know our destination as Christians. We know our purpose. The easy answer would be to just go through life on cruise control, to stay in our little boxes, to 
stay in the protective shade that we've made for ourselves. So this psalm actually gives us confidence in our journey. Confidence in God. This psalm says, literally says that we, God is with us all the time and always will be. This means we can be bold. This means we can stand up for truth. It means we can live sacrificially. Being generous with our time and resources, we can let people into our lives through fellowship and community, accountability. We can join in God's work of redemption, knowing our purpose. We know our purpose. We know where we're headed. This means we can secede well. We can fail well. We can suffer well because we are secure in our God. So how are we to respond to this passage? To our God who loves us so intently, I want to leave us with a confidence and a call. First is a confidence. As Christians, as those who are in Christ, we get to have confidence that is absolutely available to anyone who would put their faith in Christ, but is only available through Christ. We get to have confidence in our keeping God. We see Paul speaking of this confidence in Romans 8 when he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like Paul, as well as the psalmist in verse 1, when we ask the question, from where does my help come? We get to answer that our help, our confidence, comes not from ourselves, not from this world, but from our Creator, who is actively keeping and protecting His people right now and will do so forever. That's the confidence. Here's the call. Simply this. Just look up. Look up to the hill of Calvary. Look to the gospel. Where will we find ourselves in our lives this morning? Whether it's death or life. Rulers, things present, things to come. Powers or heights or debts or anything in all of creation. We can look to those things. We can see the cross and have confidence in our God who keeps. Let's pray. Father, if it was up to us to keep ourselves, we would fail every time. Lord, thank you for this reminder from your word that you are who keeps us in our lives. Help us to see you more clearly. Give us confidence in you because it's right here, Lord. It's for us and it's good. Help us to live with this confidence and for it to create in us a posture of worship, a posture of worship for your glory and love for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.